0: Watchers in the 4th Dimension. They are not people, they are beings, they call, they murder. It's a fight to death. the death, for existence itself. Then, when we are out in space, we can look we we'll see a vast,
1: white, exploding planet and know that they have died with it.
0: Hello and welcome back to Watchers in the 4th Dimension. I'm Anthony. I'm Don. I'm Julie. And
2: I'm Riley. And I'd rather face the Chumblies than you any day.
0: This episode, we're moving into season three of the show and deep into the wilderness of missing episodes. Speaking of which, there's been some exciting news today. Who's seen the news on the remount of Mission to the Unknown? I did. Do you want to tell us a little bit about it, Don?
1: Apparently the BBC are adding to their YouTube channel this remount of Missions of the Unknown that some students put together.
0: Yeah, some uh, some talented guys at University of Central Lancashire, or UCLan. Apparently they did it using 1960s techniques, uh, so it's as true to the original as they can be. They got Nick Briggs in to do the Voice of the Daleks, and of course he does the Voice of the Daleks in the actual show since 2005. Yeah, that means that we should actually be able to watch some live-action Mission to the Unknown next time round, which is exciting. Additionally, there's been some interesting Twitter activity on Missing Episodes. Mark Gatiss, the prolific writer, comedian, actor, little bit of everything. General Renaissance man. Local boy. Local boy. <laughs> Hilary Briss. <laughs> <laughs> he tweeted something along the lines of it's about time that some missing episodes were found and he gave a couple of examples which were an episode of The Savages and an episode of The Smugglers. This is actually kind of significant because it ties into some hints from a gentleman called Paul Venezes who is a renowned Doctor Who restoration expert. He's the first person anyone loops in when a missing episode is found because he's the one who coordinates all of that stabilisation of the film, making sure it's in good condition, etc. And he had stated that he was aware of two episodes officially missing that were in the hands of a collector and that they had come from two separate returns one from australia and one from not australia which has allowed people to kind of guess which stories they might be from based on the timing and those two stories fit what paul Venezis has said around that on top of that mark gatis was the person who actually announced the recoveries of, coincidentally, Galaxy 4 Episode 3 and The Underwater Menace Episode 2 back in 2011. As always, we kind of live in hope that where there's smoke, there's fire, and that we might have a couple more actual episodes to watch when we get round to them. On to Galaxy 4, and we'll get started as usual with our background information. This story was commissioned by Dennis Spooner before he stepped down as story editor, and was actually filmed as part of the second production block, but had been held over to Season 3. This meant that it had originally been written for a TARDIS crew that included, sadly, Ian and Barbara, and that to make this fit in continuity, their roles were combined together and given to Stephen for the story, which explains his somewhat uncharacteristic behavior and why he wears a rather fetching cardigan. <laughs> the story itself was written by William Mams, and this was his first and only contribution to the show. The entire cast hated his script. <laughs> And allegedly, and this I think was according to uh, Lawrence Miles and Tatwood, things became so heated between the cast and the crew that the incoming producer, John Wiles actually threatened to fire William Hartnell during filming. That's some good producing right there. Yeah. Fire your star. And he's going to try and do that multiple times, just so you know. Originally, this serial was going to have been directed by Mervyn Pinfield, stalwart of the show at this point, but he fell very ill during pre-filming, and actually died from his illness in the end. I think he died in 1966, and this was started in 1965 and he was replaced by Derek Martinez. Pinfield had actually been scheduled to direct the following serial, Mission to the Unknown, and Martinez was handed that as well. This meant that casting was already completed by the time Martinez showed up, and he just had to work with what he was given. He himself had been a director of the BBC Director's Training Course, and he'll go on to direct a total of six Doctor Who stories, including the first one in colour, Spearhead from Space. So we'll be seeing more of him. From a design perspective, we have first of four outings on the show for Richard Hunt, and he'll stay with us until season six. Outside of Doctor Who, he's quite notable for having worked on both Monty Python's Flying Circus and Dad's Army. Unfortunately for Julie, there was no music composed specifically for this story, and stock music by Les Structures Sonneurs was once again used, and and this was the same stock music that had been used in the web planet. And so with that, it's time to move Move on to discussing the story itself, and as usual, we'll be starting with a short summary, which this time is in the hands of Riley.
2: The TARDIS crew arrive on a strangely quiet planet, only to discover a Roomba attempting to fuel up the TARDIS. Vicky, always wanting to name things, decides on calling it a Chumbly. Unfortunately, that Chumbly gets got by a Barbarella clone, and the crew are taken to meet this clone's cruel, vile leader named MAGA. <clears throat> we discover that MAGA is a Draven, and they are at war with the evil makers of the Chumblies, the Rills, two races, both of which have clumsily crashed on this planet and can't get their shit together to take off, which is problematic since the whole planet is set to blow in just two dawns. Eventually, the crew discover the Rills, who claim that it is the Dravins that are unnecessarily antagonistic and warlike. It's a classic Rill said, she said story. To wrap it up... It is Maga and her group of clones who are the evil ones, not the cooperative rills, so the doc helps repair the riddle ship so they can take off, and the rills help the doctor and crew get past the Draven and to the TARDIS before the planet explodes by sending a sacrificial Chumbly to protect them. Simplify, little Chumbly. Simplify.
0: <laughs> wow, when you put it like this, this story sounds extremely convoluted.
1: You know, Riley, I think I can help with the convolution. This is a very simple story of a woman who would rather that her and her friends die than accept a ride from an ugly pilot and his (laughs) robot friends.
3: You are absolutely right. That is the end of the podcast. Thank you and good night.
0: All right. Thanks for listening. Shortest (laughs) podcast ever. Uh, So let's start with um, episode one, 400 Dawns.
3: So I'm really sad that we're getting rid of Stephen's beard and then there's more grooming of Stephen. And I'm just like, stop trying to make Stephen clean cut. He's supposed to be just, like, this wild man.
0: But seriously, Vicky knowing how to cut Stephen's hair really stereotypes much. Right? I kind of wondered if that if she was supposed to be doing that for Barbara or Ian in the original script. I wonder if it was supposed mm. to be Barbara styling Ian's hair, given that she had previously done that in the Romans. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Possibility. Good call.
3: Good call. I found it interesting when the doctor was like, this is a scientific expedition. And I'm like, since when have any of these have been strictly scientific expeditions? <laughs> Since when?
0: Yeah, we're, we're a long way off from when the Tenth Doctor just says, Purpose, fun. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we're yes, still yes. trying to pretend this is science. However, in this episode, we do get what I think is
1: my favorite Billy flub, because I refuse to believe someone wrote it, <laughs> that, that I've heard. Which he said, maybe we'll get our our long-deserved, undeserved rest. (laughs) He corrected himself with the wrong word. And that was just, that was
0: a good moment.
3: Yes.
0: (laughs) Uh, Speaking of weird things, once they get out, the Doctor comments that he's reminded of Xeros, the planet from the Space Museum. Because it's quiet. And I'm just sitting there going, good God, I hope this is a better story than that. (laughs)
1: Okay, let's, let's not go there, because
0: the Space Museum
1: <laughs> is much better than this garbage.
0: But this one does have weird eyebrows as well.
2: It does! Dot eyebrows. Bed- bedazzled eyebrows. <laughs> and can someone explain to me, like, I can't understand the naming of Chumbly, because it moves in a Chumbly manner? I, is, is that 60s
0: English slang that I'm not familiar with? Well, it's definitely not 90s or 2000s English slang. Yeah,
3: it's it's probably, you know, like, you know, 24th century slang.
0: Oh, I I get it. Like, like
3: the
0: the futuristic slang in Clockwork Orange. But on the flip side, Vicky pet name count plus one.
3: Yes, yes. Plus one. Plus one. I also like that Stephen goes for rocks for weapons. So the (laughs) doctor is already rubbing off on Stephen. And, you know, rock is the weapon of choice.
0: So we have some nice little nods to the show's history. We have some 90s drag queen eyebrows. (laughs) Some monsters with cute names. I mean, this is theoretically going in a really good direction, right?
3: Uh. (laughs) And did you notice the the very stereotypical music that was used when the Draven were shown? Because it was like, yep, that is music that's played when women are on screen. (laughs) Great. Great.
1: To be utterly fair to the music, when it wasn't doing that, I enjoyed <laughs> the soundscapiness of it. And I like yes. the sound design for the Chumblies.
0: Once we actually start learning about the Dravins, something occurred to me on this. And that's the Dravins reveal that they are the ones from Galaxy 4. So this story doesn't even take place in Galaxy 4. The, the title is Throwaway. Mm-hmm. This episode is called 400 Dawns. But.
2: The only numbers of dawns that were significant is fourteen and two, yep. if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm.
0: Whereas it, it, I think it later comes out the Dravins have been on the planet for four hundred ah. dawns. Yes. So, okay. The four hundred yeah. dawns have already happened before we even get into the episode.
1: <laughs> it's just a cool sounding title, really. That's they just want to make people look
0: at the description and go, "Ooh, I'll watch that." Well, so are you, are you aware of Project MK Ultra? I'm kind of yes. wondering if yeah. William M's may have been spiked with LSD. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I think this would have been much more delightfully weird if he had been.
0: (laughs) I'm with you on that. The
2: the titles seem to suggest a lot of focus on the Draven and Maga in particular. Doesn't really seem to, doesn't seem to there to be a need of of a focus on on her or the Draven. They seem kind of just, you know, stock villains. There's a structural problem.
1: When we meet them, we're not supposed to think of them as villains. They're supposed to be, we're supposed to be very sympathetic to them because they're human and they're female and these terrible monsters have brought them down and it's setting itself up to have a, a good, Oh, we learned something today about you can't judge creatures by their appearance and blah, blah, blah. And the script (laughs) completely fails on every level because Maga is, is just so over the top. And so we never have any suspense.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're right, because, like, what's the first thing that she is, like, you know, she's taking hostages, forcing them to go, like, take care of the rills for her. I mean, like, that's, like, right off the bat, that's not what, that's not what friends do. It's it's not just that (laughs) she's evil. It's that she's stupid. (laughs) Uh, If
1: your plan is to take over the the ship from the rills and they have offered
0: to let you on board, (laughs) go on board. (laughs) Then you kill them. (laughs) <laughs> so what makes this even worse is from an audience perspective All of the publicity for this story told the audience that the draw-ins were bad oh, Really? <laughs> oh, <what? laughs> so even in 1965, they'd already ruined the surprise <sighs> going into this
2: Trailers ruining movies and television, A long, yeah. long story
3: What was also really sad is at first, because you know I didn't know that history of it I was slightly gonna be like, oh man, like this is exciting. There's like all these women. And then I was like, All right, they're taking to the leader. Is the is the leader a woman? I was like, Oh, okay, they're all women. And then I was very disappointed because I figured it out like immediately. I was like, nope, Magga's the worst. Uh that just ruins my whole excitedness that could be like strong female characters that aren't terrible.
1: And that's that's the big problem with it. It it feels like you spend four hundred dawns just waiting for it to get on <laughs> with it because you've already realized okay they're the bad guys the rills are going to be the good guys let's let's move it along and it just doesn't
2: it would have been a lot more fun if it's so telegraphed that the draven are bad and you're immediately you know based off of just you know cliche that you're expecting that the rills will be good it would have been really funny if they got to the rills and the rills were just as bad
3: <laughs> and the chumblees were the nice ones that's the Aww.
1: thing if
2: the chumbleys work for the rills they're
0: too cute for the rills to be evil. You see them and you're like, oh, it's adorable. You're you're not afraid. So we learn a little about in society. So the warriors are grown. The upper classes are actually birthed and female dominated. Most men are killed and others are just kept for purposes of breeding.
3: It sounds a little bit Amazonian. I mean, obviously the Amazons really just went with the route of we'll just leave our island, go have sex and come back. But it's kind of a similar idea.
1: Death by snoo-snoo. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Death by snoo-snoo.
0: Yeah. And all through this, we have hints that they're not actually as advanced as you might think, so they haven't been able to destroy a Chumbly their spaceship is kind of crappy
2: yeah the doctor like that was actually quite of a funny little bit uh the doctor just is trash talking in the drop-in ship quote, yeah. i don't
0: know
1: why that would just was a funny little bit to me to quote yet another cartoon it's not stupid it's advanced
0: <laughs> and our heroes are suspicious of them pretty much from the get-go particularly when they say okay you can go to the real ship but one of you has to stay behind they're like why I mean, it's yeah. just not subtle. It-
2: friends don't point guns and keep pointing guns at other friends. That's yeah. just not a thing.
3: But guess what? We got the astral map back.
2: Yes, that's actually it was the one bright point outside of the Chumbly <laughs> design for episode one. The
0: astral map. If I recall correctly, after we published our episode on the Web Planet, friend of the podcast Philip Cully tweeted us to remind us or to tell us even that. The astral map would be back in this episode, so shout out to you, Phil.
3: Hey, Phil.
0: Thanks, Phil. I just said Phil. I think he goes by Philip. Sorry, Philip. <laughs> 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 also,
3: I love the fact that not only did Vicky, you know, name them Chumblys, but then I can't remember if she said it or I think it was in the um, the script that was on the screen, but it said that they that it chumbled off. As if jumble <laughs> was a verb. It is <laughs> It now. just made me very happy.
0: Just before we continue on that note, did everyone do the loose cannon reconstruction or did anyone do the narrated audio?
3: I did both. I just Ooh. did the
0: reconstruction. Me too.
3: The audio narration is so much better. Oh, oh man. Really? Yes, it's better.
0: So this was one of the earlier recons that was done, and... Dear God, it's like watching Doctor Who on VHS in the early 90s before they'd done any restoration on the early 60s stuff. <laughs> it's rough.
3: It's rough. It's the going back and forth between some of it being still shot, some of it being, you know, like action and all that kind of stuff. And then I hate reading like on the screen when it has to do some description when it's still shots. And in the narration, it just like has this lovely man's voice and he's just, you know, talking through it. And I'm like, oh, you're a lovely narrator. Thank you.
0: The voice of Peter Purvis, a.k.a. Steven Taylor.
1: I found the audio hmm. on the Loose Cannon reconstruction to be incredibly difficult to listen to. There was yeah, it, a lot of high-end noise and I had to really, really focus to try and... Understand what bit of nothing was happening
0: at any given point in time. <laughs> so I promise they get better. This is, in my experience, one of the ones with the worst audio by far. They do get better, but we'll see that as we go along. We talked about the return of the astral map, so that's when we find out that it's not 14 dawns before the planet explodes, but two, which brings us into episode two Trap of Steel. This is where we find some even more interesting stuff about Druv in society particularly the dietary habits of the soldiers. Mm. (laughs) My God, by God. This is some new use of the word interesting.
1: I was previously unaware of.
3: (laughs) What I don't understand is if you're going to have soldiers who are, you know, I would think have to be strong and be able to do physical conflict and everything. Don't feed them leaves. You need protein.
0: So they're fed leaves and twigs, they get the crappy guns, only Marga has the good gun. That
1: was what got me. The crap, you give your soldiers, your warriors, the crappy guns, and you, a leader who should be away from all the fighting, you get the
3: good gun. But remember, they're dumb. She's smart. So obviously that's how yeah, it works. Really?
0: <laughs> I can see why Why he was never invited back to write again.
3: Um, I love how, well, Love, kind of, not really. (laughs) <laughs> um vicky vicky was like complaining about the whole like you know she's stuck there and all this other stuff I was like oh, vicky you volunteered to stay behind this was the instance where she had actually volunteered to stay behind so i'm like you have nothing to complain about vicky you brought that on your shelf
1: maybe she's complaining about the hostage of the weak element of get another story
2: <laughs> but you know they share they share the load because you know she switches out with steven which i thought that was one of the few things i liked about the script was that like okay all right have steven as like you know being held
0: hostage Or Vicky and the Doctor do some stuff that I like.
3: That was fine. Yes.
0: So, do we think it was originally meant to be Ian or Barbara who was going to be held hostage second round, time round? What do you think? I'm thinking. (laughs) I'm going with Barbara. Yeah. 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 The only way it would be more obvious would be if the cardigan had been a clean plot point (laughs) to her escape.
3: We also had the doctor saying that he never kills anything, and I'm like, well, how about all the times you tried to kill someone with a rock?
0: Tried. That's attempted or- murder,
3: not actual <laughs> murder.
0: Or just refusing to help the Dravins so they die on the planet. That's
1: that's their problem. They should have left. <laughs> they were given an offer. <laughs> Plausible
0: deniability. That sounds like a kind of ethical problem. <laughs> just because someone's an asshole, does it mean that you should leave them there to die? It's not a problem. I mean- <laughs> <laughs> you
2: know, it's, it's,
1: that's the kind of thing it, it, that just resolves itself. If you wait long
2: enough. <laughs> you know, this, there could have been like, a maybe a better developed concept here. Like I keep thinking about, you know, how unnecessarily aggressive and antagonistic the Draven are. And I keep thinking of like that old fable of, or the scorpion and the frog. And that I could have seen that kind of being put into this story and made it a little bit more interesting but it never really built. more than that. I
0: mean... There could have been a lot of no. things
2: put
1: into
0: this. <laughs> so you know how um, John Oliver keeps referring to all of the, the Trump stuff going on as stupid Watergate? If you want to draw the same analogy and apply it to the scorpion and the frog, this is the frog and the stupid scorpion. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
3: Um, one of the better things that I, I saw in this one was when Stephen was the one who was the... Called for ransom Whatever you want to call it You know The captive Whatever He tried Psychological manipulation And it was working Totally Because They're really dumb And then You know Maga comes up And she's like Oh no He's like I know what you're trying to do And I was like Ah oh, damn it
0: But then she tries To manipulate Steven. Poorly And he's like I'm not <laughs> falling for this shit See I could have sworn
1: When you mentioned your, The good scene I thought you were going to talk about Vicky's scene where she reflects the Doctor's speech about observing and collating, and then
0: I threw the rock. Because that was just brilliant. It was an awesome scene.
3: Yep, yep, that was a good scene.
0: She's such a badass, like, applying scientific method to try and figure out how to get around them. I love it. So we finally start getting in the direction of the Rills, and at first they're kind of built up with this sense of dread. Which doesn't really, and this may be the,
2: fault of it being a lot of reconstruction or just i understand the concept they're going for and it was kind of in one car he was slightly love crafting like you can't see me because it would destroy your mind and how hideous and you know but uh you can like well i can see your top half <laughs> yeah
1: Kind of, in a blurred way. I thought they were just trying to cover for the fact they didn't have enough money to really sell it. So like, okay, we'll build this, we'll hide it behind some glass, and it'll be
2: fine. I was expecting like a Wizard of Oz reveal.
1: I was, I was expecting Anthony to say when we're moving in the direction of the plot, not in the direction of the rills, but... <laughs> <laughs>
0: One thing I got on this, with the way that Marga talks about the Rills, and I'm not the only one who says this. I think this is uh, Sandefur. If not, it's, it's Wood and Miles. You talk about the analogies with communist propaganda. Marga's talking about how hideous and bad and just terrible the Rills are. And when we, when we meet them, they're actually quite civilized. Their spaceship is nice. In fact, the Doctor describes it as marvelous, I think.
2: Yeah, the, the, those Marga followers believe those Rills are
0: some bad hombres. It's uh it's the decadent west, right? (laughs) That said, the one the one alarm bell for me, the the real spaceship has the Dalek City pulse noise, the womp womp, womp, womp.
1: You know what I mean? It's very popular throughout the universe's background.
2: I was taken taken away by the 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 set for the real spaceship, which all I could think of was like a playground jungle gym from my childhood, looking at it. (laughs) <laughs> I thought
0: it was like
1: the garden center of the future, but that's just me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I definitely see that. So we end this episode with a real appearing, which in the Loose canon reconstruction was not well done. But again, it's one of the older ones. Which brings us into the only existing episode, guys. Episode three, Airlock. Exciting title. I know. I mean, it's such a generic
2: title because of like, that's basically what we're going to do this episode. We're going to have an airlock scene. So we're going to
0: call it Airlock. And the airlock scene <laughs> doesn't even happen until late in the episode. I, I feel oh, like the, no. the titling of these is terrible. <laughs> yeah.
2: It really is. Yeah. I, and also, I'm I'm trying to understand, what was the Trap of Steel? Was it the, the real ship? Because... Uh, uh, I guess...
3: No, I think it might have been the uh the Draven ship because I think that, you know, both Vicky was first, you know, held hostage there and then Steven was held hostage there. It's a bit of a stretch. That's my best guess.
2: <laughs> Could be. Yeah. But back to air schlock. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this episode was interesting. I, I'm trying to recall. Uh it uses a flashback. Oh yeah. And, yes. and does can anyone think of Any prior episode to this one Having a flashback like this
1: I think that's
2: the first time that we've seen that
0: with Yeah, it really,
2: really struck with me An
0: unearthly child, we get the flashbacks To Susan in the classroom Yeah,
2: yeah, Yeah. which one could argue That's more of a montage, a flashback Montage, but this was like one Specific scene, but yeah
0: Yeah, I thought that was really cool, actually The way it was done
2: I enjoyed that as well, that is the third
0: thing I enjoyed from the serial (laughs) That flashback scene was surprisingly graphic. Yeah. There's fake blood, there's Margaret killing her own soldiers. Like, wow. That's not something I would expect from the BBC in 1965. I thought there were strict rules in place in whether or not they can show blood, particularly humanoid blood. I mean, that's surprising Maybe to me.
1: Maybe she just tripped and spilled Hershey's syrup all over her face. <laughs> <laughs> and she shamed the warriors, so Maga shot her. Yeah. The, the Warriors saw it. Headcanon accepted.
0: Aside from Margo wandering around looking like a fascist version of Dusty Springfield.
3: <laughs> Been
0: saving um, that one, haven't you? That's good. Yeah, I have. <laughs> so, once Vicky gets captured, we have a regression in the Doctor's character. Because... I don't know about you guys, but where he decides he's gonna sabotage the air supply of the rills, that mm-hmm.
1: seems but He never kills like... anyone.
0: <laughs> it's the I lack mean, that... of a breathable
1: atmosphere. He had nothing to do with
0: <laughs> That's something that would have happened two years ago, but not right now. It's not me. It's just your fault that you can't, you know,
2: breathe in anything other than ammonia, yeah. right? Hey.
3: It was also one of those things too where you, like. He was also struggling a lot with it. And I was like, Doctor, you know, you're a little little bit smarter than this. You should have, like, unfortunately, I would have been like, you should have had it done by now. But, you know, we don't actually want that to happen. But it was just like, do you want to write right there, Doctor?
2: It was taking him a while. And it would have been better if he was actually having, like, a moral quandary about it instead of just being confused.
1: (laughs) (sighs) Of course he was confused. He read the script.
3: (laughs) As I sit here with some of the sets and I was just like when Vicky was behind like the, the gate or whatever, I was just sitting there, I was like, Vicky, you can you can crawl beneath the gate. <laughs> it's it's yeah. high enough you could crawl. <laughs> I promise.
0: <laughs> Damn it, Richard Hunt. <sighs> uh yeah. So one of the things I really did like was the the voices they gave to the Rills and the Chumblies. which actually, if I recall correctly. Was kind of accidental. I think they used someone's voice who was going to be in Mission to the Unknown, so they didn't have to contract with an extra actor for it. And pinch those pennies, which is super cheap, and I <laughs> love it.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, I actually that I did like the voice acting for the rills. I really did. It did exactly what it needed to do because, of course, they're so hideous looking, except not really. They kind of look like kind of an aged job of the hut kind of thing but um but the voice though like did its job of like it seemed very like warming or non-threatening and kind of you know amicable it it could have been a lot worse i think they would have
1: as we say quite often would have looked better in the original
0: black and white fuzzy screen
2: yeah yeah
0: watching it on a 15 inch screen or whatever it would have been yeah
2: so let's talk about steven uh getting getting some fisticuffs, trying to take Ian's mantle. He gives that, gives a good punch to a clone.
0: But then he traps himself in an airlock.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and,
1: and okay, rather than go out and face something he's only been told is bad by his captors, he stays in there to either have to go back in with him or die from lack of oxygen.
2: Right, his choices are get killed by MAGA, get killed by lack of oxygen in the airlock, Or option
0: three, see if that thing actually does want to kill you, even though it's... So apparently they don't teach game theory in his time frame?
3: You say that, Riley, but he didn't actually have that third option because by the time that he was given those options, that third option was taken away. He took too long to
1: make up his mind if he'd just left.
3: Yes. He had time. Oh, yeah.
0: And of course, because we need drama, I use that term very loosely... I'm so glad that this was Stephen and not Barbara because it would make me slightly disappointed in Barbara.
3: It would have. Yes.
2: I want to give credit to uh, the actor who played Maga. I did greatly enjoy the villainous grin she had when she, there was a specific shot they give her um, when Stephen, when she, I think, realizes that or she informs him that he can't go outside Mm -hmm. now. He's really now stuck. And like I just,
0: I just like that grin she gave. That was, that was good. It was a good evil grin. Stephanie Bidmead, the the actress, I think, is the high part of the story. She's wonderful. She's wonderful.
3: Like her part is written so over the top that it's ridiculous, but she's wonderful at doing it.
1: Yeah. They, they even gave her a nice little evil monologue. Yeah. <laughs> about how she can imagine them dying once they're far off and safe and all that
0: stuff. <sighs> she's. Yeah, she's definitely a highlight, but that wry little smile at the end, as she's quite clearly taking pleasure in Steven's predicament, brings us into episode four. No, it does no. not. No. We were missing
2: something cru- crucially important. Episode three, Vicky and the doctor are on the way back, and, and they have two chumblies with them, and they run into a clone, and Vicky does something very, very clever.
0: Yeah, she tries to convince the uh, the Dravins that she has control. Of the chumblies. Yes. That doesn't go so well.
2: Well, no, but she still does it. That was so great. It's like she has a good plan in order to trick the Draven. The other Chumbly goes around the back. And then what does she do? She's the one that actually does the charge and the pounce and takes over. And
0: she wrestles the gun away. It's good. So these Dravens, they're just, given that they're meant to be bred for war, right? So they're clone soldiers. They're bloody useless. They're sleeping on the job. They're nearly (laughs) swayed by Steven.
2: That's because they can't think well Because they're only they're given no protein They're just given leaves Poor to diet. eat They're not really bred to survive
0: <laughs> Incidentally, in, in that little struggle For the Dravin's gun The doctor, using his stick again He's, he's back in action man mode <laughs> Alright Now can we go on to episode 4
2: another, With another generic title The Exploding Planet They should have given it like a little more flair And called this one Thy Real Be
0: Done <laughs> oh, that's good. That's that's aiming exactly. a little high for this serial. But... <laughs> so after a real episode, we're back to recon slash narrated audio, and wow, it's jarring. I yeah. was not happy with this at all.
3: Yeah. So Marga actually does one smart thing, and you know, with with Stephen, because she's she was like, you know what, it makes sense because he's a better hostage than dead, so maybe let's not actually have him die on us. And I was like oh, you actually thought about that. Like, congratulations. That was kind of impressive.
0: In my my notes for this particular episode, I think one highlight I have is, and I quote, Jesus Christ, this episode is painful. (laughs) I really struggled here. I felt like this did not have enough material to fill four episodes in any way, shape, or form. I felt like there was so much filler here in an episode that should have been the exciting climax.
1: Wait, wait. You don't think the Doctor essentially jump-starting a car is an exciting climax? Uh, (laughs) Sadly not. Well,
0: particularly not when it takes 24-ish minutes.
1: (laughs) (sighs) But, and I don't know if I'm really giving credit here or just complaining again, we do have an inversion of a rather hated trope which is the, there's always one person who's like, well, I don't know if we can trust him, blah, blah, blah.
0: Well, uh, yeah. here it's Steven. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, Steven, be... where have you been? <laughs> where be... the hell have you been?
3: To be fair, he almost, like, died. So, I get it. But not at like... the hands of the reals.
0: <laughs> he, he nearly died at the hands of the blatantly evil... <laughs> antagonist and was saved but by he, the
3: chumplies and his friends but he doesn't but he doesn't yeah but i don't know that they really gave him sufficient background on the rails to real. if they had had that scene that they talked about hey like hey here are the rules they're the ones who like really saved you because it was the chumplies i would have been like and Stephen probably would be like ah cool Lack a box of oxygen. he's not thinking straight
1: <laughs> are you talking about steven or the writer <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> i'm not gonna comment ¿Por qué no um, lost
0: us? <laughs>
3: <sighs> so we finally get the, it kick-started the rules leave doctor leaves and we just leave you know the dragons to just die
2: and don't forget you know the sacrificial chumbly Oh, you know, helps escort the doctor and the crew back to the charters
3: yes that was adorable
2: i really enjoyed the clearly made after the fact reconstruction scene of either when like the planet explodes. I don't know if you guys watched the reconstruction, you know that scene in the reconstruction, it was live action. And it was like this person... With, like, the blonde wig and, like, shaking their hands in the air. Like, why? Why? <laughs> it was very enjoyable to me. That was immense.
3: So, while Maga was over the top and a little bit ridiculous and not that smart, I am kind of sad that she died on that planet. Because, to a certain degree, I think it would have been interesting to see her come back.
2: W- with a- with another writer, yes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> with another writer, yeah, yeah. Well, the Draven <laughs> could still come back.
0: Maybe they clone their leaders, too. So, fun thing, when, I guess it was 10 years ago, when Journey's End aired, 11 years ago, so the, the C- Series 4 finale with Tenon mm-hmm. and he goes off to see the Shadow Proclamation, right? You have the women mm-hmm. with the blonde hair yeah. in there. So a couple of them were seen on set photos outside having a smoke. And of course, online fandom on places like Gallifrey Base went nuts, thinking, oh my gosh, women with big blonde hair, these are clearly the Dravins. <laughs> so, for a brief while, we were all convinced that the Dravins were coming back. I'm curious about the Dravins coming back. I want the Chumblies to come back. Yeah, I would yeah, like the Chumblies. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I will say about this was I actually thought the direction on episode three, the one we actually have, was pretty good. I really enjoyed that episode. And I kind of wonder if the rest of the story might have been no. a bit more enjoyable if we could actually see it.
2: Um maybe a little bit, but like when you think about episode two and one the way the sh- the, the, the serial set up is that it feels like bottle episodes. I mean, we have two sets, yeah, we're either in the Dravin set the spaceship set, or we're in the real spaceship set, and there's nothing else, and like the scenes in between are just so barren without any really description to the planet I mean really, the fact that they describe the planet as being so quiet while that is good to set up suspense in the first
0: episode, later on provides absolutely nothing. Keeping in mind that this was recorded at the end of the second recording block, in which we had had three Richard Martin stories, and he was known for going way over budget. This was probably done on the cheap.
1: I like how he wasn't even involved and you find a way to blame Richard
0: Martin for it. (laughs) 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 Alright, right. So we are left with a pseudo cliffhanger, I guess, on, huh, I wonder what's happening on that planet below us, leading us into Mission to the Unknown, which we'll discuss next time. Uh, This is where we move on to our metrics. And with various departures, we are now down to just the Vicky pet name count, which plus one.
3: Plus one.
0: Plus one for Chumblies, which brings us to a total of three so far. And the camp count. Any nominations for the camp count?
2: I don't know. The in makeup could count. Is that maybe?
0: I was going to nominate the eyebrows. Yeah, yeah. The makeup, the eyebrows. Yeah. Let's do the the dot eyebrows. Okay. <laughs> Which you know that's that's not too bad. Next up, we move on to our scores. Julie, you get to go first this time. Ugh. Yeah. Sorry.
3: Ugh. Oh. Alright, so this wasn't great. The audio recordings were so much better than the reconstructions, so A-plus on that. Plot is weak. I was really sad that the women weren't strong women that you could actually, like, rally behind, so that was disappointing. The Chumblies may have saved the day, (laughs) so (laughs) I'm gonna give it four Dawns out of ten
2: for a minute i thought you're about to say four dons out of 400 dons
3: <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, we get, julie gives it 0. 0.1 <laughs> points
1: i'm not sure if i like uh. being the metric against which this story is measured i just want to point that out
0: <laughs> <laughs> i'm a little hurt riley over to you
2: i don't think my score would have been any different with the you know, if it was just the actual video footage, and not a reconstruction, because as we discussed, there isn't much going on outside of those two sets. So visually, I don't think you're gonna be missing much. I mean, I, I mean, maybe there was some, I don't know, interesting, dramatic, you know, zooms and Dutch angles, or all these bottled y like dialogue scenes. Maybe the design is decent, except the script is literally feels like it was written in, in like an hour and like wasn't flushed out like they have like a bare bones story and they just fail to put anything into it of interest it's it feels like utterly generic not offering anything interesting and it feels like a rush job i'll give it 4.5 ammonia bombs out of 10 and that 0.5 is only because of the chumblies without the chumblies it would have been a straight like four if not worse.
0: I'm up next, and honestly, I'm going to agree. This is, there's not a lot going on here. The moral of the story is so absurdly simplistic, I think it's almost insulting. I would like to see what it actually looked like. I think episode three looked a lot better than the recons did, but that's really not enough to raise it up. There are times that I was screaming at the screen, particularly at Steven for being such a dumbass. I I just struggle to like this, and I can honestly see why the entire cast hated the script. It's so boring. So for me, this one gets uh, four leaves out of ten. <laughs> Done. It does leave you rather
1: hungry. In addition to the other things that we discussed, such as the once again a hostage of the week, the obvious bad guys removing any kind of suspense that could have been built up. I also, when I forgot to mention this, really, really hated the moral shoved in at the end about, oh, not judging people by their appearance, not because I disagree with it, but because it was so shoehorned and unearned. (laughs) Despite the fact that we can all agree that this is not a real good episode, pun definitely intended, there are a few things I liked. I liked the Chumbleys. I like the sound design, and even though it wasn't written for this episode, I like the creepy music. The design of the rill was good for what they had, and I liked that they tried to cover where it wouldn't have worked if they tried to show the full costume. Vicky and Billy had a couple good lines, but overall, I'm going to have to give it three unimaginable and unfilmable horrors out of 10 (laughs)
0: Guys, we have a new worst story. This is the first story to have a collective average less than four points. This was really bad in comparison to everything we've watched before. And I hope that's not a sign of things to come in this season. But we'll see. So, before we call it a day, you'll know how we set up an email address and actually started publicizing it. Two different gentlemen dropped us notes. Bill Lemond and Thomas Meehan. They were both kind enough to drop us emails after our episode on the chase went out, which at the time of, of recording was the last one that was actually released. We have a, a little bit of a lag between recording and release. Bill wrote to us to agree that the chase was very fun trash to watch. <laughs> <laughs> so he basically agreed with our group assessment and Thomas wrote to tell us how much he's enjoying the podcast, and to ask whether, when we eventually get there, whether we'll be covering any of the spin-offs. Well, Thomas, we're still quite a long way away from that, and we will figure out what to do with those when we get there. In the meantime, if you want to email us, you can reach us at watches 4 d at gmail.com. We'll be back next time to discuss the only Doctor Who story not to feature any of the regular cast, Missions to the Unknown. In the meantime, our previous episodes are all available on your favourite podcasting app, and you can interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Watchers4D. And as another reminder, you can email us at Watchers4D at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening, and have a good one. You have been listening to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension with Don Smith, Riley Shrek, Julie Philippac, and myself, Anthony Williams. This episode, a fascist version of Dusty Springfield, was recorded on Wednesday the 11th of September 2019. And always remember, cardigans are cool. Barbara told you so, and now Stephen is also telling you so.